listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. Okay, so Philippians chapter 2, as we, we get back into there, just to do a quick little recap for you, the, the uh, Apostle Paul, I'm getting so excited here that I'm getting all my words mixed up here, but um, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. I just want to give you a little recap because we haven't talked about Philippians for the last few weeks. He's writing to this church, and it was a church that Paul started. He, he kind of was going through a real discouraging time in his life, in his ministry, and even kind of questioning, you know, like, am I supposed to continue to keep planting churches? There was... He, he had kind of a bad dust-up with a dear friend of his, and, and, and it was a difficult season for him, and, and he ended up going into, into the area of Philippi, an area that hadn't been reached for the gospel. And from there, from some very difficult beginnings, started a solid church. Just some exciting people ended up coming to, to get saved in that church, and a solid church was, was started. And these were committed people. They encouraged Paul throughout the years. Now, a decade or so later, they have sent offerings to Paul. They didn't have a lot of money as people. They were undergoing persecution. They were out of their poverty that they gave generously. Because as God is doing a work in our life, it frees us up. It frees us up because we want to give of ourselves. We want to give of our resources because we can't outgive God because of what he's given us and we want to become conduits of that. And that's what Paul was doing, or that's what Paul was receiving from this church in Philippi. Where was Paul when he was writing this letter? Do you remember where Paul was? Sitting on the sunny shores of, you know, the Mediterranean somewhere and at some, some nice little luxurious resort and sending a little blog kind of thing to him. Is that where Paul was when he was writing the letter? Where was he? He was in prison, awaiting trial, not sure if he would live or not. And, and, and this would have been, could have easily have been a very discouraging and depressing place. I tend to think from what I understand and a little bit what I've observed, not personally, but have, making, have, have made some visitations at times to, to, to prisons, it's not a real happening, exciting place. It's actually more of a place where it can be a little discouraging and depressing. And, and, uh, and here's Paul in prison, and is he sitting there? all mad and ticked off and, you know, like, I've served God all these years and now I'm in this prison, in this dungeon, it's dirty, it's disgusting, I don't know, is this what I get for serving God? Is that Paul's attitude? Not at all. Instead, Paul is bubbling. It, it's, even as he's writing this letter, you kind of just see that, that, that he's getting more and more excited as he's writing these words and, and he's getting excited as he's writing, writing to these people. In fact, there's joy bubbling out of his life. And so he's writing to his dear friends in Philippi because he's also heard that they're facing persecution. Some of them are ending up in jail. Some of them are suffering because of the sake of the gospel. And so he's writing to say, thank you for your money gift. Thank you for your love, your support. And now, folks, I want to encourage you. And so that's what he's doing. And, and, and through the first two chapters, as we've been working through that, we've seen that he's writing this letter to encourage them. And, but he's also calling them to think differently. Don't think like the world. Don't let fear, don't let um, anxiety and the way that the world thinks squeeze you into its mold. Instead, he's encouraging and challenging them to pursue joy. How do you pursue joy? Just through having happy thoughts where, you know, it's just like, well, I'm just going to be really, really positive and, and I'm just going to think that, you know, I'm going to be the, the, the cup is half full kind of person on everything and, and if I do that, good things will happen for me. Well, that will work for a little while. But, that runs out, and you get tired, and you get weary, and worn out, and it won't last. 
Paul is encouraging them and, and pushing them to, to not just think in a disciplined way or to think power of positive thoughts or anything. He's talking about them renewing their mind, about their minds actually being changed and transformed. The pattern of the way that they think to change. And how does he encourage them to do that? How does he... Well, he's, he's ex- expressing it from his own life. It's happening in him. And he's encouraging them to have their minds renewed and transformed by the Word of God, by getting their eyes onto Jesus. Paul is full of the Gospel, and he's reminding them about the power of the Gospel. So far in this chapter, he's mentioned the word Gospel Six times gospel is the thing that ignites, that starts our spiritual life. That's when we come to know Christ. We understand his love for us. We understand the sacrifice of Christ, that he died in our place, and we receive that into our life. We receive that forgiveness of our sins, and that is the igniter of, the spirit, of our spiritual life, of the Christian life, but it's also the fuel that we need to keep coming back to day in, day out, to develop the mind of Christ, to be able to go through the junk and the hard times of life and to know his power, his presence, and can even experience joy in the midst of this. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know if life is just, you're just bubbling with joy today and and always. I'm not. I need to continue to keep pursuing more and more and more. And I hope you're in this journey with me, the mind of Christ. Learning to think differently. Not thinking like the world thinks. Not thinking that our joy and our happiness is going to come from that new car. So many people move to our city because they think that, you know, if I move to Kelowna, if I move to the Okanagan, life is going to be so much better. And they come here, they're here a year, two years, three years, and they find out it's just the same thing. And there's not the happiness. Yeah, you have the surrounding, and, and yes, you have you know what, a certain lifestyle you want to kind of start to live or, or, or to, to pretend to live, but it doesn't satisfy, it doesn't fill. There's only one person, and, and it, is a, it is through Jesus Christ and, and pursuing him. And, and we develop this kind of thinking through God's word, and that's why we are here in Philippians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 9 today, and, and that's where we left off a number of weeks ago. All these other messages are online, and so I encourage you to have your Bibles open. And just a reminder, we have Bibles at the back when you come in. If you don't have a Bible, just please take that Bible, use it here in our service, and then take it home with you if you don't have a Bible at home. It's our gift to you. I'm excited. We have to, John, we have to order more Bibles right away because we're almost out of them. We ordered a couple cases of them at launch and now they're gone and it's just like praise the Lord get the word out and so that that's a great thing but I encourage you to be bringing your Bibles because I'm going to be even telling you underline this and 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 write this in there because when you go back to study it in time uh, and and you remember what what we even talked about and and make sure you're taking some outline notes here the the words will be up on the screen just encourage you to be doing that so in chapter 2 verse 9 let's start therefore okay just we're going to stop there So we're going to make good progress today. We've made it one word here in our passage. But remember, whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, what do you ask yourself? What is it? Therefore. Right. And so we have to look back. Why is Paul saying therefore? And usually you have to move back. So let's move back to verse 5, and then we'll we'll get into our passage in a moment. Because we have to see why Paul is saying therefore to the people. Okay? So in verse 5, so backing it up to 2, chapter 2, verse 5, have this mind... This mind, there's our sermon series title that we've been going through. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. 
but emptied himself by making, by taking the form of a servant, being born in human likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so the first thing that we see here in these verses, as we just do a quick little recap of verses 5 to, to verse 8, is the first thing we see is the humility of Jesus. Remember the ladder from a few weeks ago? We had the ladder, and if I could have my uh, friend here just bring this ladder. Remember, we talked about how in life we are so obsessed with climbing the ladder of success. We are trying to, to climb the ladder of popularity, whether that's in school, whether that's in business. We want to do well. We want to get good marks. Even You know what? I even find this with our kids when they come home and they say, you know, hey, Dad, I got, you know, this on, on my test. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's good. And, um, and thankfully, and it's all because of my wife, our kids get really good marks. And so I'm thankful for that. And so when they say, hey, I got 98%, I tell them, well, that's good. You left two out there, though. Just, just remember that. And then, then I just, you know, I, I make sure and re reaffirm that. I said, I would, would have dreamed to get at least one mark like that in my life, you know. But even when they, they tell me their marks, it's like, so how did the other kids do in your class? You know, like even we're even looking at our kids when, when they're playing out on the sports field. We want to make sure that our kids, as I fall off the ladder here, you know, are, are, are progressing well. We want our kids to do well. We want to do well. And so life is so much about climbing the ladder, the ladder of, of success, of popularity, of financially, where we're wanting to get ahead. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But the reverse of all of this is Jesus humbled himself. He left the top. He left above the top. He left the glory of heaven. He humbled himself in heaven before his father and said, I will humble myself and go to earth. And he, instead of going up the ladder, he came down the ladder and he came to the very bottom, to the bottom, to the place where none of us, because of what he has done, will ever have to go if we receive him as our Savior and our, as our Lord. As we keep trying to climb the ladder, we are always trying to, to move up. When in reality, it's about moving down. And we're going to talk about that in a few moments. But Jesus was stepped into on earth. He was humble on, in heaven. And then we also see that his humility that there was on earth in the incarnation, where he became fully man, even though he was still fully God. He emptied himself, not of his godness, he was no longer God, even though he is fully man. He emptied himself of all the rights and the privileges that he had as God and took the form of a servant. Instead of being served and having his every need taken care of, he became a servant. So there was humility on earth, and then there was humility through death, and that's what we've been remembering and celebrating over the Easter season. In verse 8, it says, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Man of sorrows, insulted, spit upon, beard plucked. I don't know if any of you men have ever grown a beard. You probably all have at one time in, a, in, in your life, or if you're too young to grow a beard, uh, one day you might experience this. Any kind of tug on that, it hurts. It hurts like crazy. And he had his beard plucked. He was cruelly beaten. He was tortured, hanging on a cross. Nothing could be lower. The cross was the most humble, the most terrible, revolting form of capital punishment that there was. 
Not only was there pain, torture, humiliation that came with that, but he took upon himself the wrath that you and I deserve, the wrath poured out on him. It wasn't just the physical torture and pain, it was also the wrath of God poured out on him. And he humbled himself. Notice, it wasn't the Romans that humbled him. It wasn't the high priest. It wasn't Judas who humbled him. John 10, verse 19, Jesus says, No one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. At any time on Jesus' existence, his 33 and a half years here on earth, at any time he could have said, Time out. Time out. I'm done. I'm out of here. I'm not putting up with this anymore. Take me home, Lord. And, and I mean, he, he, he could have just given up. He could have said, enough, I'm done. These people, they're, they're fickle, they're selfish, and their feet stink. You know, as he's washing their feet. It's just, and they've got stinky feet. At, at some point, he could have just said, I'm done with this. But no, he humbled himself willingly. And so, what is Paul telling us? What does God word, God's word calls us to do? Humble ourselves. And you say, yeah, right. Let me sign up for that. Who of us loves, I mean, when you read the life of Christ, how he came and served and how he gave himself, and it's just like, yeah, I, I, as if I really want to sign up for that. But, but wait for it. The, but, but now we've been talking about the humility of Christ, but this is now where we come to this therefore. Based on the humility of Christ, let's get now into, into verse 9. Here's therefore, so basically because of Christ's humility, look what happened. God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what happened here? What have we just talked about in the, since verse 5 and now to the end of verse 11? Basically this one statement. Christ's humility leads to exaltation. Alright? Remember that statement. Christ's Humility leads to exaltation. Because of Christ going down, 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 right to the very bottom, he's exalted. It doesn't happen very much in our world, does it? And in verse 9, that word where it says highly exalted, I would encourage you to write in your Bibles beside that word highly, super exalted. A better, I mean, he is the top of the top. Remember when, I, I remember when 7-Elevens came to Canada, I thought that was pretty exciting, and they came out with this thing, oh, it was amazing, a big gulp. Like, my parents were just blown away that someone would ever think of selling that much pop at once. Well, forget that. What did it become? What was the next thing? The super big gulp, you know, and it just kind of kept going up. And then there's the double gulp. And then there's just some of the craziness of even larger than that, just, you know, uh, that they have there. Well, okay, so Christ was not just highly exalted. He was super exalted. So right in the word encouraging, super exalted. He was the name above all names in a class all by himself. Christ, because of his humiliation, led to his crucifixion, which led to his resurrection, which 40 days later took to his ascension up into heaven, and ultimately his exaltation. And today he reigns. 
Today he reigns with all power and authority. It's at his name that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. His humiliation, the life of humility, led to exaltation. And there he was bestowed the name. The name that is above all names. Now believe it or not, you and I both have a lot of different names. A lot of different titles that would describe you. Um, You might even want to take a little exercise this afternoon and write down the different names and titles that might describe you. And and here's some that describe me. I mean, the very basic ones, you see it on my passport or driver's license, is Meldon Harold Lutzer. Harold is after my dad. Um, That's a bit of a description of, of me, but then there's also a bunch of other titles that could be ascribed to me. Husband, father, brother, son, uncle, nephew, cousin, pastor, friend. In grade 8, they called me clergy. Um, In high school, they called me Bible thumper. Those were names. Those were titles uh, I wasn't too excited about. A few years ago, it was a store-to-store sales guy. Um, I've been a coach. Um, Well, kind of a coach. I didn't know what I was doing half the time, coaching soccer, you know, but they had a need, you know, and, you know, and football, and that was kind of funny too. But, I mean, people, all of a sudden, it's funny when these kids like, hey, coach, and I'm like, I'm not a coach. I don't even know what I'm doing. But, okay, you can call me coach. That's okay, you know. And, and, and so we have all these different names. Youth pastor I've been, senior pastor, um, reverend, all of these different names, all these different titles. And sometimes it's just like, hey, boy, you know. I mean, that's another title. Just get over here, you know. And, and, and so all different kinds of names, different titles to describe us. In the Bible, Jesus has many names along with son, brother, friend. How about some other ones that you may be very familiar with? How about wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, good shepherd, the lamb, the bread of life, the rock, the bridegroom, the deliverer, the great I am, Messiah, judge, cornerstone, Alpha and omega. Over 200 names are listed in scripture that depict who Jesus is, are names, titles, descriptions of Jesus. And so you take all of these 200 names and it is because of his humiliation that he is ultimately given the name that is above all names. And what is that name? And it goes on to say in verse 11 that Jesus Christ is Lord. In Revelation chapter 19 verse 16 it says that on his robe and on his thigh is written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We may refer to him as Jesus. That was the name that the angels told Mary and Joseph that, uh, to name their son Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. But that is not the name that is above all names. You see, it's more than just a name. It's a virtue. It's in recognition of all that he is. It's the culmination of all of those over 200 names that we see in Scripture. And his name is King of Kings. And Lord of Lords. In the Old Testament, the word was Yahweh that was re- a reference to him. King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He is the Lord of Lords. Humility leads to exaltation. I was reading um, this past week a little bit about Michael Jordan. I, I kind of got a little intrigued on, on some of this. As, as you would know, I mean, I mean, he's considered one of the greatest basketball players that's ever lived. And, and a few months ago, my uncle, who pastors in Chicago, sent me a text with him with his, 
uh, a picture, selfie or something, of, uh, uh, with him and, and another woman, and, and uh, not scandalous, a lady in his church, and, and, and he, he sent me a text, he says, do you know who this is? And I'm like, no clue, and he says, that's Michael Jordan's mom, and she, she attends our church, and I'm like, hey, that's cool, you know, and, and, and that's kind of where it's been left, but I've heard a little bit and have read a little bit about Michael Jordan lately, and, and some of you probably follow football, of which he played, Anyone catch that? Okay. Basketball, just seeing if you're awake here, you know. And, um, you know, it, I mean, one of the greatest basketball players that is a basketball that he's holding um, in, in his hand. He is one of the most recognizable people on the face of this earth worldwide. He would have one of the higher percentages of people recognizing him, whether it's in China, Japan, in Africa, in the United States, higher than that of anyone else that is alive. People, pe- people know who Michael Jordan is. Did you know his net worth, I was reading this week, Forbes listed his net worth at $1 billion. His income last year was a measly $100 million. He hasn't played basketball for over a decade and he's still making over $100 million a year. Nike sales, because of his fantastic agreement with Nike's, uh, Nike running shoes, netted last year $2.5 billion in net sales, in gross sales. He retired well over a decade ago, and yet he is still so recognizable. His ego is huge. He walks into the room, and he demands... That everyone turns to him. He demands that it be about him. No, better, no one better upsize him when he comes into the room. And the incredible thing is, he would trade it all in, all of his money, all of his wealth, he has said, to just be back on the court again playing basketball. He says he longs to hear the crowds cheering for him on the court because for him, it's like a drug And though he has all the money and the fame, it still doesn't satisfy. He's absolutely miserable. He's apparently a miserable person to be around. Even though he has staff that cater to his every whim and has all the money you would ever want, all the fame. You know what his staff refer to him as? You know what his name, his code name is? Just to kind of not always refer to him as Michael Jordan and when he's traveling in that to not go with the name Michael Jordan. You know what name he has given himself? Yahweh. They refer to him as Yahweh. Folks, there is only one Yahweh. And he lived a life so opposite When he walked into the room, it wasn't about him. In fact, he washed the feet of his disciples, the lowliest job. Humility leads to exaltation. It is at the name. Look at verse 10. It says, Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee should bow, it says. Now, this isn't a should bow. It's probably a good idea that you should probably bow. No, the better word in there is every knee must bow. Every knee 
will one day bow. I encourage you to underline the word every in your Bible. Every knee will bow. Every, underline that word again, tongue confess. Take a look at your knees right now. Do it. Take a look at your knees. Even put your hand on at least one of your knees. Just go ahead, just kind of rub your knees. You know, some of you might have a bony knee, knee and some of you may have a flatter one, and some of you are like, oh, that hurts. Um, one day your knee will bow to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Yahweh. Take your tongue, wiggle it around. You can even stick it out. Come on, tongue. Do it. I'm not going to preach until I see more of your tongues. There we go. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Say it with me. Jesus Christ is Lord. Say it again. Jesus Christ is Lord. King of kings, Lord of lords, every knee will bow, every tongue confess. Herod and Pilate and Nero and Alexander the Great will all one day bow and say, Jesus Christ is Lord, Yahweh. Darwin, Hitler, Stalin, Osama bin Laden, Muhammad, Michael Jordan will one day bow along with every one of us and say, Jesus Christ is Lord. Satan will bend the knee to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It will happen one day. But the concern for me that I have for you today and for our city is where will we be kneeling from? At what place will we kneel from? This is a concern I have for my family. This is a concern I have in my neighborhood. And these are concerns that we carry as a church. That's part of the reason. That is the reason why we planted this church. Because one day every knee will bow. But where from? Where will be the location? Paul goes on to give us those locations where the knees will bow. First of all, he says in heaven, every Christian person that has loved Jesus, that has followed the Lord faithfully, every angelic being will gladly, willingly, in worship, declare Jesus Christ is Lord, Yahweh God. We will one day, those who are in heaven will be on their knees. Perhaps they're already doing it. Probably already are. But one day, everyone will be doing it at the same time. Some from the location of heaven. I hope you're there. Jesus Christ is Lord, and our tongues will be confessing that and will be on our knees. That's one location, but then there's on the earth. At the end of the age, those who are still alive on this earth, those that are saved and those that are not saved, will be on their knees confessing Jesus Christ, Lord. And then under the earth, Paul says, every demonic spirit who has ever followed the rule of Satan, including Satan himself, will be on their knees and sadly, every unbelieving person who has not confessed Christ while they were still alive will be under the earth in hell confessing Jesus Christ is Lord. They will all, every one of us will confess. However, for some it won't be out of worship and reverence and gratitude, but rather despair and regret. Perhaps they're 
Those that are under the earth, those that are in hell, it will be with the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Can you imagine what gnashing of teeth must sound like and saying with their teeth, Jesus Christ is Lord. Those who have been enemies to the cross, those who have been enemies, those who have martyred others and have not confessed Christ will be saying those words on bended knee. God's word says every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. And the question that we have to examine in our own lives, where will you, where will I be kneeling from? Will it be a tongue of worship and reverence and thanksgiving and gratitude and anticipation of all that is to come in eternity? Or will it be with despair, regret, and loss for eternity? Have you confessed Jesus Christ as your Savior today? Do you know Him in a personal way? If this mind that we are talking about being developed, developing the mind of Christ so that how we live our lives and how we navigate through the storms and the issues and the circumstances of life, if we are going to make it through and, and, and have this joy that we're talking about and, 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 and be able to go through with a strength and a confidence from God, it starts with confessing Jesus Christ is Lord. Romans 10 verse 9 It says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You confess it with your mouth. It's not just lip service. It's also believing it in your heart. See, confession is just more than simply praying a prayer and saying, yeah, I prayed this prayer at the end of a Billy Graham show or at camp or something like that. Yeah, I guess I'm in. That's where next week we kind of look. If you read on in in the book of Philippians, you end up seeing that that he talks about how to work out your salvation, how to exercise it, how to grow your, your, your faith in Christ, how to keep going. And confession is just more than, yeah, I prayed a prayer, yeah, signed, signed on the dotted line, even have a Bible, signed it. It doesn't matter. It's more the expression of what's in your heart. And the way that we're living our lives will be the expression of what really has taken place. And confessing Christ as Lord is, is just... One of the things as we come to him in salvation, it's how we live our lives. It's living an ongoing life of confession and repentance because you mess up still? How many of you messed up this week? How many of you sinned this week? Yeah. Yes. Yes, I have. And I come back in confession and repenting to the Lord and saying, I'm sorry, forgive me. When I hurt, when I wrong others, I go to them. And say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. It's confessing Jesus in our worship when we come into worship. It's not just, oh, just singing here because this is what we do. It's worshiping. It's remembering. It's, it's focusing on those words. That, and as the gospel grows in your life, those words of a song, even though sometimes you may not even always understand or like or, or know the, the tune or the beat or whatever it is, you look at the, at, at the words and, and it's transformational as, as you see and are reminded of the gospel, of what Christ has done. It's confessing that I cannot do all things, that I need him more and more in my life every day. Confessing that with Jesus' help, I can be the husband, the father, the pastor, the friend that he calls me to be. It's confessing to my own personal pursuit of humility by developing the mind of Christ. 
We confess through the waters of baptism. God's word calls us. Jesus says that we are to be baptized once we are saved, once we come to know Christ. As a declaration, as a confession to our friends, to our family, to the world, to Jesus, that I'm a follower of Christ. Have you been baptized? If you haven't been baptized, talk to me after the service. We would love, we're waiting, itching to figure out how we're going to do a baptismal service and we've got to get after it. And we'll excitingly do that to help you in your obedience and celebrate together what Christ has done. Because it's important that as believers in Christ, we confess our faith in Jesus Christ. And baptism is obedience to God's word. We confess by our actions and our reactions that Christ is alive in us. Do we do this perfectly? No. But progressively. That God continues to sanctify and to grow and to transform us. We confess him by saying that he is Lord of all things. And next week we're going to look at how we can work out our salvation. How we continue to exercise it and grow it. You see, obedience is costly. It was costly for Jesus to be obedient to the point of death. But it always yields satisfaction. Obedience yields satisfaction. There is a blessing on the other side of our our obedience. Sometimes not quick and instant like the way that we think or want. But God rewards obedience. And here in closing, I want to give you three quick applications here. in, In just reminding you that humility leads to exaltation. The first one is the exaltation of Christ is an encouragement to humility for you and me today. The exaltation of Christ is an encouragement to humility. If Jesus Christ is the exalted Lord, then we have to dethrone self. We have to dethrone self from the throne. And we need to do that every day because self is always wanting to take over the throne. Always wants to be the one in control. And instead it's saying, Jesus, you are in control. We are to follow Jesus' example by laying aside our rights and our privileges and taking the form of a servant. You see, a lot of times as we progress in life, as we go up the ladder, we get more rights and and privileges. And, And as we've been reading here, it's emptying ourselves of those rights and privileges. Is it wrong to climb the ladder of success? Not at all. But how do we do it? And are we doing it to bring glory to ourselves? Or do we climb and try to you know what, have a successful business and raise a successful family and and to grow a a healthy church. Is it for my glory or is it for his glory? That means that if we are are doing that, we're we're taking the steps down in humility. As we're going up, we're going down. And it's kind of, you know what, and and I trust that. I, I want you to be successful. I want your children, your grandchildren to be successful. But that to be successful with a humble heart, pursuing humility and to know that Exaltation of Jesus is a call to humility, to a humble life. Jesus did it when he looked at the cross and knew that the cross was, he wasn't like, oh, goody, can't wait for that day. Can't wait for, you know, that Passover weekend, just really excited, get to go to the, no, he, he, he didn't go like that. But he did it out of love and obedience to the Father. He did it out of love for you and me. In Isaiah 53, 11, it says, prophetically, these are the words of Jesus That he saw the agony, he saw the travail, the work of his soul. He saw the agony. 
He saw what was coming, and it says, and he was satisfied. Isn't that amazing? He saw what was coming in. He saw the cross. But with it, there was a satisfaction. Why? Because he knew that in 2015 that there would be a group of people here that would have an opportunity to respond to him and then to live their lives for him. And some of you have lived your life for him for many years. Amen. That's great. But keep going. He knew that there would be many, there would be multitudes, the millions upon the millions of people that would be saved and could be reconciled to God and will one day will be worshiping as King of kings and Lord of lords with tears in our eyes of rejoicing. The humility of Jesus will lead to joy. 1 Peter 5, 6 tells us if we humble ourselves under God's mighty hand, he will exalt us. Jesus humbled himself under God's mighty hand. What happened to him? Exaltation. It says the same thing for us. That if we truly humble ourselves before God's mighty hand, he will exalt us. But Peter also throws in there, he says, these words. He says, at the proper time. Don't know when that will happen. Maybe here on earth, may not be. James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. The pathway to joy is selfless humility. The ladder, the way up, is down. The exaltation of Christ is an encouragement in trials. Jesus endured the cross. The Father strengthened him for that awful ordeal. And the cross... And the subsequent resurrection and the ascension and the exaltation are examples that God can transform and take the most grotesque and most painful circumstance and bring glory from it. That's the story of the cross. Terrible, terrible day in the life of Christ for the Christians. The cross was, but look at what came as a result of that. The trials, the sufferings, the hardships... We can go with knowing God will bring forth his glory. He will encourage, there's encouragement in trials because of the exaltation of Christ. And the exaltation of Christ is our challenge, our encouragement to tell others we need to get the news out. That's why we're planting a church. That's why we want to share with our neighbors. That's why we invite people. That's why we talk with them. We, we desire to live our lives in a way that brings honor and glory to Christ so that others will know about Christ. Because one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, either willingly, in worship and adoration, or forcibly with the gnashing of teeth. We have been commissioned, we have been called to tell others. Lost people need to see the seriousness of the eternal consequences of what they're facing without Christ. And we have that message. And the way we do it is through humility in serving him in that way. In closing, I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads and as we pray together. If you have not bowed before Jesus as Lord and Savior, I encourage you, do not delay. Today can be that day of salvation. Tomorrow may be too late. Believing in Christ as your Savior and Lord requires that you humble yourself. You must let go of the notation that you can 
save yourself, that your good works will somehow get you through. Only Christ can save you. Turn from your sin and run to Jesus.